Conversation Matters, episode 11, with me, your host, Jerry Lynch. Before we begin today's podcast, just a word of thanks to Play Creative Agency and their director, Shane Murphy, for the use of his facilities today. Today's very special guest is James Leonard. James' story is one of a troubled youth, crime, addiction, and time spent in prison, but also one of hope, determination, discipline, positivity, hard work, and support. It is an immense and very powerful and influential real-life story and it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you, James, to the podcast today. Thank you very much, Jerry. It's very nice to meet you, my man, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me today. No problem. How has life been? Corona and lockdown and everything else going on in the world at the minute? It has been relatively okay. I have no family or friends that have fallen victim to the virus. Good start, excellent. But at the same time... Like a, like a lot of people, my head was melted at points during it, you know. I'm, we live in a one-bedroom apartment, myself and my wife. Uh, we've no real space. <laughs> <laughs> and I miss the gym. And I miss, you know, I miss going to work and all that. Uh, I just kind of, I was lacking a bit of structure and routine that I'm used to. But I'm glad to see the lockdown being restricted easily now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's key, isn't it? I think that we'll certainly touch on it later on, is, is the the importance of structure and, um, you know, having something to follow, you know, seven days a week, really. And I suppose I should explain to our listeners today that it's our first time meeting. Yeah. But I must first say that you that you kind of appeared on my radar uh, day one through your appearance on the, the Tommy Tiernan show. And I don't mean to embarrass you, but I have watched it easily 20 times, I'd say. <laughs> And it gives me chills every single time. That's it's 19 a, more times than me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't watch it. Excellent. Oh, it's a mighty, mighty uh, interview. It's very, uh, it's inspiring stuff and, and, and a very powerful message throughout it. Uh, so well done on, on that appearance on the television. I found it very relatable, even though I, I, I thankfully wouldn't have maybe a similar background to yourself or, or you know, different issues and, and troubles along the way. But still, I suppose what's so genuine about it is that you can still relate it to some, you know, you're a local man and... and it's very obvious that it's sincere and genuine and, and the rest of it, you know. So I wanted to mention that before, before we kick off. So I guess, James, what's always kind of the norm with, with these kind of interviews and podcasts is if you're comfortable to do so, is to, is to maybe bring you back as far as you're comfortable to, to go back with childhood and upbringing and, and maybe set a scene for us there. Yeah, so I was born in Dublin. Uh, my father was a dog. My mother was from Grant. Um, and I was born in Dublin. I have an older brother. I have two younger sisters. Myself and my brother was born in Dublin. When I was about 10 months old, we lived in Clondalkin, and in the 1985 I was born. So in the mid-80s, Dublin was dog rough, like, you know, mm-hmm. heroin epidemic, AIDS, everything. And my mum was afraid up there, so we moved. My mum wanted to move away from the madness, so she moved to Nathanae. <laughs> <laughs> Fine choice, nothing at all wrong with it. At the time, wasn't that bad, but... <laughs> mid, mid to late 80s, early 90s, Nakanini was rough. It was as rough. I, I, it, the reputation it has now was formed then. Right, okay. You know, the people in Nakanini are fantastic. Absolutely. There's a handful of antisocial people like myself at the time that kind of give the place a reputation. But people in Nakanini are salt of the earth. Um, Nakanini and Hollyhill is the one kind of area. And the demographic of that was in the, in the 80s. There would have been a lot of people working in Dunlops and other kind of factory textiles, Fords and stuff like that. And when they closed down, the jobs weren't replaced. So I get in them working class neighbourhoods, when the jobs left, they weren't replaced. So then you have all the social problems that come on employment, alcohol use, drug use, 
antisocial behaviour, long term families, that type of thing, you know. I understand, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you say, it's funny now that the areas of Cork that you're mentioning, because my own father is from born and, born and raised in Grand, so I'm very familiar with the yeah, areas. And yeah. it's fascinating what you said there, even about that. It's it's way back when that this kind of identity of a certain location or geographical area is, yeah. is formed, and then it just sticks and, and lasts, and it mightn't be accurate at all today, you know? Exactly. It's almost unfair to, yeah, to, to the people. Like. Totally. It's, there's a stigma that comes with it then. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Like, if you're from that area, you're expected to be tough and you're expected to be a criminal and you're expected to be a joyride, you know? It's like, well, he's from Nakanini. And I like, remember we used to go to Thunderland every Easter, you know, the number two bus from Nakanini yeah. to Manning. We used to be getting off the bus at Manning and they'd be accusing people waiting to fight us because we were from up here. And all we had to do was run the walls. So like, yeah, quite innocently later. Away matches. No, we used to we used to be on a team called New Farm Athletic down at Moor and all that. School by soccer. But when you're going playing away games, you're from Nakahini. They're going harder on you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're yeah. expected. J- to just be, because. Yeah. Or with with playing GA, you get abused then as well. You know, you get a verbal abuse because of where you're from. You know, so for some of us growing up there, then we just started we just started living up to it then. Mm-hmm. Like a a retaliating as well. Like it becomes like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if this is where we're going to be treated, but this is where we're going to act. Now, that's obviously looking back, but when you're in it, we felt then like that we're from this area, so we, we should be tough. You know what I mean? Yeah, so let's act yeah, yeah. tough. Let's be the aggressor. I get you, and I suppose that like the killer blow is that it's such a, an influential age, like you know, yeah. between possibly maybe a lack of awareness or education or. or possibly role models to, yeah. to redirect you. Like, I'm sure certain people in that scenario are often left to fend for themselves, yeah. plus then the mixture of that influential age and puberty yeah. and all that, and then the peer pressure on top of it then, you know yeah. what I mean? It, it can't be too surprising that people of that age in that scenario react that that, that one way. Exactly, like, you know? exactly. And in the, in the 80s and the 90s, there would have been a lot of horses up there a lot of social problems, very little services. You know, there's a lot of services up there today. And I think Nathanahini's reputation is gives it an advantage these days in that the government gives a lot of services. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But without naming other communities, there's other communities in the north side that are far more ran down and dilapidated than Nathanahini and that have not half the services. You know? I understand that. Yeah, so like, I suppose it's the benefit of the, today because it, the community does look well. There's no regeneration. The housing project is a lot of services, as I said. But when we were growing up, we had the youth centre, all right. But um, traditionally, there would have been a lack of services, you know. Right. Okay. But as you say, you see an an improvement there now at, at this stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's but great. there's a resurgence then in the generating at the moment, you know. Um, and that's what I was just going to mention to you, James. Is as we say, even with the kind of tags and these titles and, and bits yeah. and pieces that are attached to certain locations in this example around Cork but we see the recent troubles then and anti-social behaviour like yeah. between different areas it was just triggered with me there when you said you get off the bus in a different area and they're waiting yeah. and we've, we've all seen there on Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff about the um, yeah, they've kind of made the, yeah the, the, the troubles recently and, and it, it just triggered as you say kind of you know one video or the other yeah. you know it's like what, where's the, where's this coming from it's yeah. actually like, you know yeah and I think the, the resurgence in January in, in the last couple of years like in the 90s and the 80s and 90s, I said gyrating would have been a big thing. Robbing the car was not a hard thing to do. But in the late 90s, all cars were fit with immobilizers. So it's not that 
like you need the key to take the car. Yeah, as technology yeah. improved. Like, yeah. So then the joyriding kind of going down. I get you, I understand. It makes no, sense, yeah. No, everybody's on social media. It's so easy to go on Facebook buy a car for 100 euros. It doesn't need to be robbed. And I get that, you, yeah, that's, that's true, yeah. And that's why young people are doing it. They don't have to rob cars. They can just go on Facebook. If there's five or six from there, for 15 euros each, they go away. And they have it. Rally. It's not robbed. Then if they get caught, I know nobody will get done for tax insurance, but it's not the same. It's not easy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's where the danger is. It's fascinating what you just said because in every sector life, technology has, has advanced, and yeah. it could be medicine or yeah. education or anything. And here, <laughs> and yeah, that's my point. Here we are. And so, you know, like, sorry, we are anti social behavior, and technology has still found that gap yeah. in the market. and, and yeah. That's adapted to it, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's very interesting. Another uh, point I wanted to make to you, James, there was one other snippet I wanted to quote you said as well as that, to bring you right back to, to the family home there and your own time up in, in the north side of Cork. And you mentioned that uh, when UCC was literally 15 minutes walk away, mm. but like society as good as told you, that's a million miles away, you know, it's yeah. never happening. Can you kind of discuss and, and explain that? Yeah. Living that, I suppose, a yeah. little bit for us. In my neighbourhood, in Ardcullen, you say there's three estates, three or four estates, a few couple of hundred houses. I couldn't tell you which any people that went to college at the time, do you know? Mm. Like there was no like um there was no out and I say this I don't I do kinda of talk to the prison service now. Some training uh, prison officers and that. Excellent. I just kinda of, like what you're asking me here now, just trying to let them know how people end up in prison and the environments they come from. But basically there was no prison officers in my estate, there was no guards. If they were, they were wanted. And they were letting, I'm sure they were letting yeah. on that. Like, there were uh, no teachers, there was no doctors, there was no vets, there was no professional people, really. I understand. But they were yeah. good tradesmen. They were yeah, good yeah. There were still talent and, and skills. Exactly, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But nobody was going to university. And our role models, well, not for all of us, but for me and my group of friends, we looked at the drug dealers and the criminals as role models. As the go-to. Whereas, like, yeah, like, yeah. if you're in the... I suppose a more positive environment you're looking at the teacher and you want to be a vest or you want to be a soldier or you want to be a, a guard or you want to be a solicitor or if your daughter comes to you and says to you um, or your son um, that I'd love to be a teacher then you say oh the neighbour below there is a teacher or yeah, I'm going to chat and we like the teacher to us was about 18 degrees mm, com- completely alien like yeah. a teacher came into our community taught and left I mean, we weren't integrated, you know, so it's like you feel excluded looking back and that you're excluded from mainstream and your very limited options. So it was like you're in school, there was no encouragement in the secondary school I was in to go to university. It was never on our radar, as I said, you know, it just wasn't for us, do you know what I mean? It was like you come from the north side, Holly Hill, Nathanini. Walk through some as well, and you're on Shaky Bridge. The oh, yes, and yeah. go swimming there, the leaf fields, and that go through the UCC. And that goes, because we never felt like that we're actually going to go studying in there. Yeah, yeah. Like walking through UCC was like walking through an American teen movie. It was so far removed from what we, we knew. I never felt, and then when I finished school and I started working on building sites, and I was doing a bit of painting and some labouring and stuff, you know, I felt like, is this, this all that's there for me? You know what I mean? And I just, Kind of gave it up and you know, kind of escalated and drug use and stuff then. Yeah, I understand. I and mean, you just mentioned there, James, about schooling, like, like hindsight's a great thing, but looking back now as a, as, a, as a mature adult, did your teachers try to give you that exposure to, to what you could be? Or are you correct in saying that, that even the teachers 
didn't offer that. Like, was it a case of get me as far away as possible kind of attitude? Or was it actually a case that the, the education system and, and the schooling was actually lacking that kind of the, the offering to you as well? The, the school system I was in, and I won't name the school. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fine. You know, the school could be fantastic today, but yeah, yeah, principal. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, the school was not a good school. Right, okay. It was very, um, it was tiered. So you had three years, say so if you the first year, one A1, which was the SWATs, or right. really intelligent, quiet people. One A2 was they were bright enough, they need a bit of work type of thing. And one A3 then was for the dunces, the people that didn't want to have yeah, yeah. I couldn't know. Again, it's the tags and the titles, yeah, then, isn't it? Like, and, and like, so, so day one, yeah. you're giving your, your category. Yeah. Like, and you know, I went it's, in, it's terrible. Uh, and I was always bright in school. But I misbehaved a lot. Do you know, I yeah. have a lot going on at home at the time. Yeah. A bit of addiction in my home as well. Right. My father would be in prison when okay. I was 12 for a few years as well. You know, somebody would into secondary school there was a lot going on at home and I didn't really have the concentration that was in school and they were acting out um, but instead of some teacher coming asking you what's wrong how can we help how can we address this problem it was like moving from 1A1 down to 1A3 I get and boxing and that, that, that's the answer yeah. Yeah. and looking back we were in I was in a class with people they clearly had intellectual disabilities the dyslexia, like these, some of them wanted to know, they just couldn't. They couldn't. But there was no support for the system. And then there would have been me and another couple of misfits that we were just kind of left there and we just sorted through secondary school like that, in and out of suspension and the half, nothing expected of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I imagine the, like peer pressure will just kick in and you're just doing exactly. that. Exactly. You, know, you also have to fit in. Like, no mass in school, like no mass in education, like no you cause first conflict for me at home then because my mum wanted me to do to leave and sort and mm. you know, I wanted to leave school, my teachers wanted me out of school, the principal wanted me out of school, my mum didn't have it. So I would have spent a lot of time out of school more conflict, but though. technically not expelled, you know. Yeah. So I was allowed back to sit to leave and sort. Right, okay. Um I remember leaving the exams because the World Cup was on and you know Yeah, it had priority list like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. My nephew was down the last couple of years doing their leave and sorts so much pressure on them, I want to do so well, but when I was in their situation, I didn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so I saw, and I often think about if I did have my head together at the time, where would I be today, 34, you know? Mm. If I went straight into university after school, with well, my head together, what could I achieve? But you know what, it, does, it, it doesn't matter, because mm. I wouldn't have the character I have today, and the personality and the life I have today is... I'm very happy with you. Know, yeah, I'm glad to hear it. I very well said, and we'll get to it later. But Jesus, like you have a list of achievements there, and you continue to add to it. And yeah. like even in my own line of work and my own kind of backstory there, like I, it's a bit cheesy, but nearly every podcast I, know, I, I end up saying it that what's meant to be will be, and, and what's meant yeah. to be will will, will yeah. happen that way, you know. And, uh, like in terms of what you just mentioned, one what's in the past is in the past. But I mean, yeah. as I say, we'll come to it there in a minute. In terms of what you've achieved anyway, exactly. you ended up maybe where you wanted yeah. to be, you know. If you're looking into the past, you're only looking at it to see how it battles your future. And when I look at my past and all the negative experiences, that's all learning for me. That was all learning for me. I know I have that empathy that I can bring into relationships all forward. Fantastic. I can help young people, I can help adults, and I can you know, encourage people in recovery, encourage people to go into education, encourage people that they can change, you know, mm. trying to instill a belief in people that, yeah, things might be shit, but there's whole range of possibilities out there for you. 
if we just get your head together. Fantastic. Very powerful message, James. Excellent. And just before we move on from from the kind of topic of social class, and and I wonder, had you ever reflected uh, on your youth and your upbringing, and how it would have uh, transpired if the move to Cork hadn't happened? I think it would have been worse. Worse. I think it would have been worse. Is that just from your experience and your knowledge of of the area of Dublin that you're talking about and the area of Cork you're talking about? North side of Cork is relatively rough in compared to other parts of Cork, but compared to Dublin, it's not. Like, I don't know if you watched the K district. Yeah, I saw that. We had never seen anything like that down there. Yeah. You know, I was on uh, Blanchestown with Fingless. On TV, to similar areas are roughest district in Dublin, but Jesus, that was mental. That's like Dublin is on a different level altogether. And up there, huge drug scene, you know, like we hadn't really got heroin in Cork City until the noughties, right? Okay, 2006. We never had the heroin like the way it had in Dublin, it was already rampant. It was like, and I think probably I would have been dead for an overdose or something like that. So, she made the right move moving out of Dublin because Dublin is on a different scale altogether. Man, it just comes back to as again call it cheesy, but like what's meant to be will be. There, yeah. there was a reason she moved, yeah, and, and, exactly. and you know it. Just by chance, I didn't mean for that to happen there yeah, in, in the conversation, yeah. but but it, what yeah. what's meant to be will be. You know, so I just wanted I just wanted to get your input on it. Yeah. Had you ever taken the opportunity to to reflect and, and wonder yeah. what the answer to that question would be? You know, James, is there a pinpoint moment for you that triggered? We'll come to the turnaround in your life in a second in detail if you're comfortable to do so. But is there any one moment that, that you talk about or reflect, I don't know, as positively the, the correct word, but, but that you reflect on and say, you know, Jesus, thank God that happened. Like, it, you know, there was accumulation of incidents, but there was no one incident where it was like, black and white that's, that's the end for me. You know, there was accumulated. Invariably, it revolved around people showing me kindness and concern for me. Because my self-esteem would have been very low. Okay. You know, like when you're heroin user, there's a stigma attached to it. You know what I mean? You feel dirty, you feel low, very low. Okay. You know, you have very low confidence and self-esteem, very low self-image and self-worth. And would they have been natural characteristics of yours? I think I developed them over my teens. Oh, right. you know, okay. Like in school, it was a very bad experience. Me out there feeling stupid, like I couldn't learn. Like right, I, was, okay. I couldn't behave myself. I couldn't interact. So when I, by the time I came out of school, my confidence was gone. Really. Oh, it was on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. then I started using drinking alcohol and drugs, and I kind of built up my confidence and all the insecurities. And there was a lot of fear as well. I got a lot of fear and anxiety. But when I drunk, drank and took drugs, I didn't. So that's why I always self-medicated myself. Is that a false sense of uh, confidence and self-awareness it with is, drug and alcohol? It's, it's just very poor coping skills. Like everybody right. feels anxiety. And, and on any given day, your, your confidence could be low. Absolutely. No, that's human nature. But for me, I have very poor coping skills to deal with that. Right, okay. And I internalised all that. So, like, if I'm getting bad reports in school and I go home and get in trouble at home over it. It's all negative. It's, all, it's a repetitive negative. It's all stuff. negativity. It was just all negativity. By the time I came out of school, the negativity was just constant. You know? I understand. So, when I came out of school, I started drinking, taking drugs, I felt better. But it was false. But, but it is false. Because when you're on drinking drugs, you feel worse than yeah, yeah. you're back down or whatever. So then you're always chasing the feeling of feeling better, and it leads you from drinking, ecstasy, and, 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 and happy drugs, and to 
harder drugs like tranquilizers and heroin where you're just numbing everything, you know? Okay. When you have and call it everything, all the fear and fear and anxiety and insecurities are magnified. You know, but it is it's a false the drugs help you in in terms of they do get rid of your insecurities and anxieties and fears. But in the long term it, but it's a short term exactly, it's a short term exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent, very good answer. It's very interesting. And and you mentioned there, James, that, that it wasn't maybe one one incident but a, an array of Yeah, yeah. You know. Getting back to that, there was for years I, I had enough like I was suicidal thinking I was hitting I sorry it didn't work. Absolutely. You know? And I used drugs long after that. But if you're looking back, the drugs actually had me survive that. My mental health was so bad at the time. And I self-medicated with mainly Valium and all that stuff, uh, benzodiazepine tablets. I self-medicated and I think they got me through that. And I think, well, if I didn't have the drugs at that time, what way would I have coped my mental health would have been? I don't know what would I have. Do you know what I mean? It's interesting, yeah. Uh, so right. I think the drugs worked for me and it did help me get through that rough stage of my life. But I always was, like, even at the suicide attempt, that was drug-related too, do you know what I mean? It was after a heavy binge of... Ecstasy, alcohol, or just a really low. I'd imagine. Of, I'd imagine all, all of these incidents are yeah. linked. You know, yeah, if, if you delve yeah. deep enough, like, if, if you ever the constant know. negativity, the low self-esteem, coming down off a load of drugs, and yeah, yeah. your head just convinces you that you're better off, and your family's better off, or just type of things, you know. But um, thankfully, I didn't. Absolutely. Um, but the drugs helped me. But I, as I was saying, the drugs helped me survive that. But I always wanted out. I was never settling for. This is this is it now for you, James. No, I always feel like you can actually do more. There's there's more in there's more in it. You know, you can do something with yourself. So I went into treatment a couple of times. When I was in another prison, I would link in with key workers, you know, and charities that were NGOs that were coming to the prison, and I set up care plans. So then meet them weekly. Then when I get out, the magnitude of what I'm supposed to do change my life, and my identity, my personality, of where family, friends just becomes like this huge obstacle and then it just ends up in relapse, you know what I mean? But I always wanted to change, you know? Interesting. Go back into prison, I'd meet the same key workers and we go again. But then I started um, chatting with this female prison officer and she was the, she took a shine into me, you know, she was a nice woman, like right? yeah. and uh, she was saying, Fucker James, you're actually a nice young fella. Like when you're in here you can go to the gym, you're going to the school, there's no trouble then you get out, you're back in a few weeks there, so you're like half the man. I can't understand like the person that what's going to happen to me today. Yeah. Goes out, like what happens when you get out that you come back in the way you come in? And um she was she instilled in me like she was saying she was doing a course herself, college course at the time. And she was like, You could you know you could do something with yourself, you're intelligent and smart. But these kind of like um, encouraging us. Yeah, like stuff that I wasn't getting. You know I mean? sure, that was my next question. Got, to, if you don't mind me interrupting, is is uh, is it one of the first times you're yeah, experiencing this? Totally, this lady, like, totally, know? totally. Like she was a prison, she was a prison officer. Obviously, my interaction with prison officers would have been negative. negative. Visiting my father, being in prison myself, the uniform represented something very negative to me. Right, okay. But here was somebody showing me kindness for the sake of it. Like, she wasn't getting anything. In return, she was just being nice. And, you know, then there was an incident where I had an overdose outside and a couple of guardy, and I said that in front of I'm me. sure, but yeah. A couple of guardy, was like, fuck a gym, it's, this, you're, it's worse you're getting, you're going to be found dead, you know. 
again, another my ex, my experience with or my perception of a Gara would have been very negative. And even in my neighbourhood, we wouldn't really look at Gars as people that no don't get me wrong. If something happened to your house in the morning or you were in trouble, the first person you ring is a guard. Absolutely. But at the same time, you didn't trust them. That was kind of the way we were socialised. The guards weren't to be trusted. Right. If there was an issue, we'd talk to ourselves. I get to understand. Yeah, yeah. But these two guards were like, fuck, I don't know law here, James, you know. You wouldn't be hung dead. You know, I could just have sort of that, you know. Mm. Um, and like that, a couple of incidents like that. I'm like, I'm way, I'm way thinking, you know. Maybe I am better than what this here. Maybe I can do better things, you know. So there wasn't one thing. There was a few different there was a few things. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's excellent. And as I say there, as I mentioned, the idea that maybe that female cop. Are you still in Canterbury, aren't you? No. No, never missing. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, what I was going to say to you is the fact that you might have um, identified this as 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 a first. Yeah. That it's someone as you 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 very well put it there that. It, it, it must have come across very obvious to you that there was no hidden agenda or she wasn't looking for anything in return or would have cost you nothing. It, it was it yeah. was genuine kindness. I think my perception, as I said, my perception of authority was very much challenged by these nice police officers and nice prison officers. Mm-hmm. You know, so then I began to question other stuff I was socialised with, other beliefs, or core beliefs I had, like you're a drug addict, you're involved in crime, you're in a prison. That was my identity, mm. and that was what I believed was all I was going to become. So, so interactions then that challenge your, you know, your core beliefs. Then you begin to question other core beliefs. You know what I mean? Mm. And that really helped me, I suppose, change in terms of when I went in, when I finally had the treatment, I began to question other core beliefs, other core beliefs. My idea of what a man is, masculinity, is not very really fucked up. Mm. Right? <laughs> Honestly, but it's the, fascinating. The role models we had, was like, that's not. That, that's not. That's not normal behaviour. Like the, the environment you grew up, it's not normal environment you want. Know what I mean? Why isn't the university is it for me? Why isn't it for me? Why isn't this? We get to think that. Again. Why? Why am I limited to this very narrow life script? When I, I'm not happy in it, and I want to do all this other stuff, but it's not for me. Then thinking, no, James, it is for you. You can choose to go to university if you want. You can choose to have a wife. You can choose to drive a car. You can choose to have a house and a nice job. If you want it, it's there for you. And I came out of treatment, and no man, I came out of there with a new set of beliefs. It's like, I rejected all that other shit that I grew up with. That old personality, mentality, and identity. I rejected everything, and I just moved away from the north side. Nothing wrong with the north side, but my my situation up there wasn't great, so I, I, I moved away from it, moved away from family and friends, and moved over to the south side, Wilton. Really quiet. Anonymous over there, and it suited me, and I just went to a lot That's of what you need is, yeah. of meetings, met new people, started doing the work, met a, started going on a date with a woman, we got married afterwards, and she fantastic. she showed me then like that. College was the way to go. The next step as well, like, yeah, so, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so the, the treatment centre and all these little interactions, it's all cumulative, you know. It's powerful stuff, it's fantastic stuff. And what I was just going to mention, and is I, I'm big on support systems, I know we spoke off earlier right for a second about it, but it's fascinating what you're talking about, about as you just mentioned, the, these interactions with strangers, yeah. be it. The yeah. lady that became your wife was a stranger yeah, exactly, initially, yeah. and the female cop, or the, the yeah. two guards that, that found it that in that other incident. But um what I was gonna to say to you is like 
have you a message message I suppose on, on, on the general importance of support systems or for anyone that might be listening even in it in a bit about it or, or whatever it might be you know I understand you you know it takes uh you need to get a certain kind of crossroads to, to reach out like, you know it, it's not an easy thing to do always like but but there are support sy- systems around everyone you know what I mean and it might seem like an insurmountable task at the moment but if we link in with services it can be done like it's not what you think is impossible is not actually impossible. It's very possible with support. And you can bring that to any walk of life. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and that's why people, after the Tommy Turner show, people that weren't in my, didn't have my experience as a background, they can relate to it because everybody's been in situations where you feel like, how am I going to get out of this desperate situation? Feel like you're trapped, feel like this sort of there for you. And, you know, but you can't get out of it, but you need support, you need have a bit of structure, you need, you need help and you need to avail of the help. Sometimes help can be offered to you and you can't accept it. You have to be open to receiving it as well. You know, but there are services out there, no matter what your issue is, no matter Absolutely. what your issue is, there's help there for everybody and anybody can change to know that they can. Absolutely, very well said. And we can link in some of the of course, yeah. the free phone numbers and the help yeah. numbers um, to, the, to the show notes as well. Um, that, that's excellent, James. Bring us closer up to speed and closer up to today's work. Um, you're familiar with the grounds and the insides of UCC? I am, I am. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that and yeah. what you've been up to in the last couple well, of years? When I came over to treatment that time, I was, um, it was like, I was doing the sea scheme cleaning, which was grand. It was grand. Um, it was in the Simon, the Simon Cox Island Community Administration building on Cold Street. Excellent. Um, my first job in the house, I was part-time. As I said, the community employment, so I wasn't really paid for it, but the structure provided to me, you know, I was at every morning, I had something to do. Yeah, um, a purpose, I guess. Exactly, yeah. I got a plenty of training in there, Excellent. and uh, interacting with the people that work in the building, you know, with my confidence. Again, there was lots of encouragement from them. I said, James, your granddad, what you're doing here, like, but you could actually do way more. Do more they were talking to me that this is not where I belong at all, you know, I can do better things. And then I, you know, your, your confidence is building mm-hmm. down all the time. I said, fuck it. You know, maybe I can. Maybe I can. And um, so I said, whatever whatever I end up doing, because I was look, I was lacking, the, like I had a lot of motivation and energy, but I didn't really know what I was going to do. But um, I was lacking a bit of direction. But what I, what I did identify was I needed to learn how to use a computer. I didn't, have, I didn't know how to use computers, you know. So I'd done a basic computer course for a few Excellent. weeks. And I said, right, that's that done. Then um, I met my wife at the time, and uh, she encouraged me to go. She said, look, it would be great if you got a job helping other people that was an addiction. You know, that'd be perfect if you asked my fucking time. They actually pay people to do that. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, yeah. so exactly. So how did I do that? So it was College of Commerce for a year. Um, played social studies and psychology. I loved it. Excellent. Um, and then after that, I did a three-year bachelor's degree in youth and community work in UCC. Um, and then I won a scholarship to do a master's in criminology and I got first class honours there recently and then in the last week I, got, I won a scholarship to do a PhD that I'm starting there's no to, stop in your mind there's no, no stop in your congratulations it's just there's no what I just people invest in me you know like I put in the hard work and you know if people invest time in me I invest effort in them you know if a lecture um, if, if I get a good quality lecture um, and I have a band with the lecturer, you know, I want to do the best for that lecturer, for I want to give them the best essay, I want to give them the best work, and then as the work was good quality, then you're in a position where 
you're eligible for scholarships, you know what I mean? Mm. So I'm lucky that way, you know what I mean? But it's just, it's all hard work at the same thing. It's hard work, but some good people as well, you know what I mean? And mm. right, I mean, no, people, um, good people cross my path, right. right thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I was just going to pick up on, is the, just kind of drawing around to that, no, um, currently in these days, but, but networking, mm. I suppose even listening to your story, what might have been one or two coincidental interactions a yeah. uh, prison officer or whoever yeah. it is no you have the control to i mean look at us across the table today yeah, it, that's networking you know yeah. what i mean and you're going out there putting yourself out there yeah. getting to know people and and yeah you know more power too yeah. like it's it's, very, it's important stuff like and, and it's powerful stuff with um, a charity in cork there for that to support people that have been in prison in cork on patrick's key cork alliance center don't be the vic but she led a manager there but she used to bring me to conferences, criminology conferences, criminal justice conferences, and I'd go along as a student, you know, like, I'd go along meeting people, you know, meeting judges and meeting solicitors and meeting mm-hmm. academics and just mixing in them circles, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, you're becoming more confident. But these are, you're looking back and you're thinking, you know, not much of them, but look, but then with hindsight, now you're thinking how valuable them experiences are, mm-hmm. you know, because I would have had a fierce inferiority complex. Okay. I mean, anybody like a judge or a guard mm. or an academic or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I understand. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after a while, you believe like I, I can be as good as them. I might like yeah. to sit at this table like, as much as anybody else. They, they might come to see you. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, and, that, and that's absolutely you know, fine too. Good people invested good time in me. Do you mm. know, and I suppose I'm getting the benefits of it today. And can you identify that now in a? In a conference like that, or in in a one to one lecture in UCC, or the time and the effort and, and that people around you are giving you nowhere and can you identify that that is what was missing I think so like 15, if, 20 exactly, whatever the years ago like. exactly if you look at and I wrote a small chapter for an upcoming criminology book in UCC oh, right there's literally no stuff in your way <laughs> amazing it was just a small it's small kind of the bio and then the kind of criminological analysis using literature afterwards that was basically, look, like what you said there, if you look at my time in university and, as I said, you know, lecturers showing me lots of attention, seeing the value of me Investment. and, and the, the, the potential, potential is and, and nurturing that, are you rewarded them or I worked as hard as I could for them? Do you know what I remember in my criminology masters especially? I had six modules and a dissertation, not six modules, six different lecturers, mm. six you know, different, different expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I got first class for every one of them. You know, and it was like, I wanted to, I wanted to, wanted to show to do them that I was appreciative of what they were giving me. Fantastic. But in school, it wasn't like that. In school, I didn't get that attention. I didn't, get, I didn't give a shit about me. Mm-hmm. So why, then I was like, oh, why should I give a shit about me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going to get it back to you. Exactly. Well, then why should I stay quiet and sit down in the back of your class? You don't give a shit about me. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's looking back now, it's interesting to see, like, maybe there is children in school and they have a lot of potential. Like, I came over school mm-hmm. thinking I was stupid. So then it's down, it has to be down, it has to be an honest on the teacher to nurture the child that finds it hard to learn or to nurture the challenging child rather than labelling them a dunce or stupid or misbehaving, you know? Yeah, very well said. It's very interesting, as you say, that, that the child, you know, if you will, a young James, could be yeah. in, a, in a class, not necessarily take her on out of it, but could be in the back of a classroom now. Yeah. And also, as you've, as you've touched on a few times <clears throat> during the conversation, that 
there was something within you always, like, yeah. just going like, "Geez, I'm due more." And it's like, you know, yeah. I've more to give. Like, yeah. so equally, that that same fire inside could be could be in, in that child at the back yeah. of the classroom, and, and if, if, and if they're just for some reason not just, yeah, that's all it is. Mm. So let's be the people that not just, and, and, and not too, be the judges. They would not judge people or label people. Let's be the natural people. Let's you know give the kind word. You know be nice to people. You know encourage people. Um, and don't mind the labelling, or oh, he's this, he's that, he's the other. Kind of think critically as you're looking at young people. Um, and I know, I know young people get a lot of flack at the, at the moment, you know, especially mm. during COVID because of social distancing. But you know, let's kind of look at it with more critical eyes. It's not as simple as good and evil. Absolutely. Good, good yeah. and bad, you know. And it applies to adults too. Exactly. You know exactly. what I mean? And like, what's, what's hugely ironic, like, monkey see, monkey do at the same time as well. Exactly, like, yeah. Do you know, if we're a whole lot kinder, and, and there's, not a, there's not a man or woman around, you know, that are being as kind as they could possibly be, we yeah. can all do a, a bit extra, like, yeah. it, it's, it's only all positive progress, yeah. like, you know. And, and on top of your studies then, James, which is absolutely fantastic, and, and a huge congratulations to you on, on all you've achieved. I think you mentioned it earlier that you're working as a, a youth support officer at the Cork Education and Training Board. Can you... Yeah. Can you Delve into that a small bit for us and for our listeners. Yeah, so the Cork ETB Youth Services, where I am, we fund youth workers and youth projects in Cork. Okay. So we administer the funding and we can coordinate the youth services in Cork City and County. So we kind of have the administrative function for the Department of Children and Youth Affairs. And then outside of that, then we'd have, we'd run programs and projects and stuff like that. So today is Bonfire Night. We have a lot going on tonight in terms of online stuff, obviously. Okay. But um, then we run trainings and courses and you know stuff. Brilliant. And is there a, is there an age category? Is it is it school goers or, or at the moment young people are being classified by the department as ten to twenty four. Ten to twenty four. Yeah. <laughs> young kids and young adults. So. Yeah, yeah. And right. so does that totally um, differentiate what you can provide yeah. to them? Like that, like, I mean, that's a child and an adult. Like, I think it's been reclassed to ten to twenty four because. Like traditionally, from my experience, and is the norm, a youth centre, and I, you know, I don't think you have youth service in Ballincollig. There was a youth reach, I don't know, this but is still wrong. There's, there's a youth centre, a youth reach is slightly different. Different. But okay. a youth centre would generally be 15, anybody after 15, 16 wouldn't go back to the youth centre because oh, it's right, seen okay. as if silly for younger kids. You I know? understand. So then if people was coming to 16, 17, they were out of school. They're not adults and they're not children and they were getting lost in, in getting the system. Lost, yeah, they were getting lost in unemployment and like that's crucial age between the age of 17 and 24. You know, like if you're idle for them years, a long, big, good chance you're going to be long term unemployed. You're going to develop addictions and friends might come your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the youth service, the new youth service as we see it now is going to be like we have to re engage that cohort of young people. No, maybe it didn't work out for them in school, um, and maybe they didn't want to education. No, but they might have like what we're talking about. They might have a lot of ability, mm. and we're trying to get them back in the doors and get them back into programs, and maybe they move on to education. You know, yeah, so. it's very interesting actually. Even the fact that that gap has been identified because yeah. that it makes perfectly good yeah. sense what you're saying. I mean, and I would say this: I be, I went from I say from the age of sixteen. To the age of 26, I did not much home at all. <laughs> like, I started... How unfair are you? I started party at 16 when I didn't stop. Yeah, yeah, for 10 years. years. No, I was very mature as a boy. 
like in Trudeau was influential years I was very immature you know so we can't expect oh he's 18 he's a man he's an adult and a man man. because then there's 18 year old 19, 20, 21 they're not men do you know what I mean like they're Mm. being grown like physically yeah physically mentally they're not and they still need the support you know particularly and and I certainly don't mean to label anyone like that but but like if they've been in an aggressive education or missed the whole pile of it like sure it it doesn't matter if the the birth cert makes them 18 and an adult They're, they're not yeah. They may not have the capabilities of, of another 18 year old, 20 year old, or whatever. They might, like, the formal education system is a very rigid system. Mm-hmm. It's like academic ability, your yeah. academic, your value, if you're not academic, you're less value for new. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't work for everybody. No. And if you're cool. coming from a home where there are no manual jobs or there are no trades or whatever, you know, then there might be a big emphasis on academic ability in the home. So I the school system doesn't really represent you or your family and your values, no? So just because they're not doing well in school doesn't mean they're not going to do well. I understand. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. So we just have to get them into different courses, expose them to different avenues. And different options. That it's not yeah. all about getting 400 points. Absolutely, yeah. And the only thing I'd add to that, maybe if we're my own background in terms of another category is sporting ability. Exactly. So it's low random if they're if they're good, like such across any sport, and, and the academic stuff can be secondary sometimes. Howard Gardner, I might mean, I might get that name wrong, but he's a psychologist that he identified nine types of intelligence, and academic ability is one. But there's sports, there's spatial intelligence, there's emotional intelligence, there's art, and all these other things. You know, we kind of have a very rigid system where we value academic, but you could be musical, you could be sporty, you could be great people, absolutely, yeah, yeah. and as, as, as the man that, that's sitting here in front of me, if you have a certain experience exactly. in any walk of life, yeah. you're, you, there's instant value there, exactly. like, do you know what I mean, and that needs to be kind of looked at as well, and, and, and supported as well, you know, is education slash awareness slash kind of an understanding of this key to, to progression in your opinion, like, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, or even networking has come up in this conversation, actually meeting these people, be it, be it under 18 or over 18, giving them a chance and then getting to, you know. And, and you, have to, you have to meet people and you have to you know, show people that, you know, there's a way, that there's a way to progress in life, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, yeah, so yeah. everybody has ability, as I said, and everybody can have a role, everybody can be happy. Absolutely. Again, to add to that, it's, it's, it's one I've read along the way as well, is that everyone has something to offer. Like, exactly. You know, and sometimes it can be hidden or it can be... And you might find it in school, but sometimes yeah. it's like, you know, it's not to be all or end all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. School is not to be all and all. You know, yeah. like, you're not going to get taught how to be a personal trainer in school. school yeah, you're not yeah. going to get taught to be, you know, a lot of things in school. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't go on and do that it. That you can't go on and do it, yeah, very well said. It's a, brilliant, it's a brilliant message, actually, and a very powerful message. And James, I don't want to take up too much more on your time. I know, I know yeah. you have your... Um, one of the events at work this evening as well, so we're nearly there. But one other message that I did pull away, and it's kind of a, a very powerful and a very kind of deep message, again from the interview that was televised towards the end of it, you, you said to Tommy, you said that there's nothing more important than keeping yourself alive, mm. which is fairly fucking powerful. Yeah. Can, can you add to that? Or, or, or Do you know where I heard that? Disgusting. Two packs of colours. <laughs> Two packs of colours, colours, colours. Is it? Yeah, I think it's in... Um, it's either our two pack changes oh, one or scale or one of them anyway, the big hits after he died and at the end of it there's like a quote not more important in the world than keeping us. That's where it can something along with blah blah blah. But that was where that came that's, from. That's class. And when you think about it like when I looking back there's been times in my life, right? And I spoke about this with my wife recently, 
there's been times in, in addiction and that where I made decisions that kept me alive. Like, there's decisions where, at times where I've been using drugs with people and one of them may have died, or one of them may have come to hell, or so, you know, something like that. And I made the decision to move away just before, like, there was one case where we were partying and the lads were going on to another house um, and they were talking about more serious drugs that I wasn't used at the time. And something told me, go home. And I went home. And one of them died. You know, and there was certain times then where you're in, I was in a house and you, know, you could feel an energy in the house. You, know, you could feel that something would happen. Leave and go home. Load of violence escalated afterwards. You know. But just our car crashes and you know, all getting out of the cars and car crashing nailers or these type of things. You know. But I always seemed like I had a a gut of this in psychology like um, it's like your your core self mm. this guiding you that's yeah, keeping me yeah. safe you know a Christian or a spiritual person may say a higher power or yeah, whatever God, but I always felt like that there was always so, something a gut feeling edging me in the right direction you know it was always kind of keeping me safe you know and overdoses and you know, just being found by people. Hang on, can you link it with anything if you don't? If you I, don't. I just think it's just an innate self. Just barman. Like um, in um, psychoanalysis, like Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, that type of thing. You know? mm. And I'm not a psychologist, mm. but I just know a little bit. A little bit from me. Yeah. But they talk about it's your inner self, like you have your conscious self, your identity, mm. and what you, how you perceive things and your personality and all that. But you have an inner self too that's. It's your subconscious that you're not aware of, but it guides you and it keeps you. Like if something's coming to your face, it plop your hand and react. You yeah. know, it'll move you out of the way to keep you safe. And I always felt, look at like learning psychology and reading stuff. I was I was able to say, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what's kept me safe. I think maybe that's what kept me alive. And do you still feel it or experience yeah, it? No, I, I definitely do because it's like when you're looking for purpose, no, and then you're. The right people come into your life, like, as I said, but then you get a gut and you're like, go for it, go for it, James, go for it. Just go for it. What's the worst thing happen? What's the worst thing You'll be safe. You, you'll fail. You'll fail. So what? What's the worst happen? You'll have no experience. You'll meet new people. What's the best thing yeah, You're already winning. Exactly. Exactly. That's it's that. just not having a gut and trusting it. Funny know the way that, that that you just told the tale that you just did because one of my last questions here is that do you believe in luck? I do. Do you? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, contrary to what you just distorted, I think know, yeah, the point you just made. Maybe, maybe not luck, but I think I do believe in like an energy. Like when I come out of treatment, like when I was in the, the throes of addiction, it was all negative. My whole mindset was negative. My experiences were negative, right? So I was in a negative headspace, and all I all I attracted was negative outcomes and circumstances. That's all I was. When I come out of treatment, as I said to you, I would come up with a new mentality, a new set of beliefs, you know, more positive. Like, I didn't come out of, I never was able to have this kind of introspection. I look back at my life with this kind of vocabulary and understanding, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's only through college and through reading and stuff that I'm able to look back at my experiences and kind of articulate them to you mm-hmm. and kind of analyse them, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, when I think about it, I was living in such a negative headspace and negative lifestyle. Mm-hmm. All I ever got was negativity, negative. overdoses, prison sentences, homelessness, all that stuff. Mm. That's all I got. 
But when they come into treat, when they come out of treatment, and they get one written, they get one of all the core beliefs that were negative, and then all these options, positive options, and that's what I pursued. All I've gotten sincerely is positive. It's the same back. I'm after getting a beautiful wife, I'm after getting a lovely job, I have a lovely car outside, I have lovely home. Yeah. And it's not like I'm putting my will into everything. I don't, I just. I have a little plan and I have little goals and I work away with my goals and everything kind of happens organically. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never know if I'm going to end up with ETB and the light in there. That was never, that was, they weren't on my radar. Mm. But I worked myself into a position where I was of interest to them and I was able to play yeah. for a position there. But it was, it was never, a, there's never a big master plan, does not it? It's just like I build up my experience, I work as hard as I can. And good things will happen to me out of it. And that's it. It's not, is that luck or is it attracting positivity? Energy back in. I think it's attracting the positive energy. Are you proud of yourself? I am proud of myself, but I don't sit and dwell at it and all. Oh, that's a fair point. It's like when I got my, when I um, graduated there in February, that was probably it. That's huge, yeah. But then straight away it was like PhD, you know, let's write a proposal, you know, how do I. So then when I got the, the scholarship, it was fucking delayed, and then it's like, the next day you're done to work, you know, and, and that's it. It's like, you know, I dwell on it because I'm not finished, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Maybe I want to put myself in a position where when I'm retired, I can look back on my life and I can say, grand, you started off shit, but after that, you didn't last a day, and you reach, you, you know, reached your potential, you know, and that's what I want to do. So when I'm retired, I want to look back and say, you know what? That was great, well done. But for now, I'm too busy working now. <laughs> Good on you, bro. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And James, for anyone else uh, listening in today who may currently be going through a tough period of any type, really, be it crime or abuse or addiction or anything at all, and I'm sure you've been asked 101 times, particularly even maybe since your um, TV appearance, but but is there any kind of go-to advice or messages or, or anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I think in, 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 in case of an immediate concern for a loved one, the Samaritans in Pierre House is your best bet. Um, after that then, everybody has a local, we have a Cork local drug task force right. if we're looking for help around addiction. And they can provide counsellors and treatment options and stuff like that. Certain areas have community drugs workers. Um, and so like, it's just a matter of Googling it. Everybody is, you know, everybody is working still in some form or another on the phone, the services are up and running, even though the door might be closed, everybody's still available. So that's it. Also, you know, after the Tommy Turner show, I had literally hundreds, if not thousands, of people contacting me looking for help, support, guidance. They had loved ones in addiction, they were in addiction themselves, they were suicidal, they had loads of people, mental health issues, nothing got to do with addictions. No, overweight, underweight, suicidal, bipolar, mm. and I was like, how do I help all these people? Like, I'm not, like people asking me to come up to Dundalk, Donegal, will you, will you, okay. I'm in Galway, will you come up and talk to this and that? <laughs> so I, I come up with like, how am I going to address all these people, how am I going to help all these people? You know? There's a lot of people talking up there. So then the idea for the podcast came up when oh, I spoke with my friend <clears throat> and uh, he suggested we don't be doing a podcast. So that's we're recording our first episode Friday night and we hope to have it on YouTube. It'll be a video recording. Oh my god, so um it'll be visual as well as audio. Right. So and uh, we'll hope to have on people in recovery, we'll have on psychologists, academics, 
um, community work girls, youth work girls, and I think it'd be a nice little, a nice little um, information hub for people, you know, Excellent. anybody so And it's not even addiction and crime, you know, it'll be a wide range of topics, but it'll be very lot of information for people. Fantastic. We'll call it the two narries. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Very well named. Uh, yeah. Accurately named. Well, we wish you the best of luck with that. We look forward to it. Sure. You might command your ears. Absolutely. Well. Jesus, yeah. We'll try and start something there. Before we wrap it up, as you mentioned, with, with so many people reaching out to you, and, and we tipped into it throughout the conversation, but I would feel, and, and I'm sure you can kind of correct me otherwise, but do people feel more comfortable reaching out to someone who's lived it as opposed to maybe the principal of the school or I think so yeah. or that, you know like is that a connection that definitely helps the whole operation it does because like you, you have credibility because you're you've been through it you know but I think a big part of it really is there's no judgement there yeah? like if you come to me if you have addiction issues and you come to me knowing I was an addiction you know I'm not going to be sitting in judgment because I've been there myself. Mm-hmm. So then, like, a lot of addiction stuff like that, a lot of it is shame and guilt, you know? So I think people do confide in me when I was working in Cork Island Community. Service users and residents used to come to me um, and confide in me and be more open with me than some of the other staff. And it was just because I was in recovery, that was it. The other staff were great too. Mm-hmm. And they did, you know? But it was just that I was in recovery, they'd be a little more open with me and they'd ask more questions because I'd been through it and, and all that, you know, so definitely beneficial. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, as I said, I was, I was thinking that would be the yeah. answer, but I just wanted to put it to you. James, if anybody wants to reach out to you, if you welcome that, can they find you online yeah. somewhere? Yeah, uh, James Leonard 85. Good man. And my email address is on my Twitter bio as well. It's jameslemmer1travelate.gmail.com. We can throw them into the, into the um, show notes and we'll put in whichever helpings and stuff that you mentioned yeah. there earlier as well. James, you're a remarkable man, a gentleman, and a truly inspirational individual. And I mean that so sincerely. I wish you every success and more with everything you do. And the very best of luck and forward. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Joey. All the best. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share and tag us on your stories and leave a review. As always, you can find us at jlinchpt.ie and across all our social media platforms with the handle at jlinchptcenter. Mind yourselves, mind each other and stay safe. Until the next one, cheers.